0: hello and welcome to talking dirty at the library where we'll talk about what's growing here in athens and limestone county alabama each podcast features master gardener experts discussing ways we can cultivate better gardens and better lifestyles through local gardening programs hello this is talking dirty at the library i'm emily klem from the master gardeners uh, we also have Getting Dirty at the Library, which is a program at 11 o'clock on second Tuesdays. And so today, on this second Tuesday in January, we had Travis Roddy talk to Getting Dirty at the Library. And so we followed up with this little conversation for our podcast. So this is Travis Roddy from the International Crane Foundation.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me here. Very excited. Mm
0: -hmm. And uh, when we recorded this podcast, it is just before the Crane Festival, uh, which is usually in the middle of January. And uh, I would encourage all of you to look into that because it's a very popular thing, great thing to take kids to. Uh, Travis, tell us what the International Crane Foundation does.
1: Yeah, so the International Crane Foundation is an international nonprofit organization uh, based out of Baraboo, Wisconsin. We work worldwide to conserve all 15 species of cranes, their ecosystems, watersheds, and the flyways on which they depend. So oftentimes that means working directly in the wild with the birds, um, as well as in captivity, uh, oftentimes hatching chicks and releasing them into wild populations, Um, working with our partners like Wheeler to protect critical habitats, and then getting involved with members of the community to create a stewardship for cranes. And which cranes are we concerned about here in Alabama? So the cranes that we see um, in North America and here in Alabama are our sandhill cranes and then our endangered whooping cranes. So those are the two we've been talking about today. And when do they come to Alabama? So they start migrating down here from Wisconsin um, towards the end of October, really early November, um, and they typically stay here until just about the end of March. Um, We haven't really seen them past April, Um, and they'll start heading right back up to their breeding grounds uh, up north. Okay, and where is that? Where are their breeding grounds? So they spend their time breeding. um, For the whooping cranes, it's mainly in Wisconsin, Indiana, places like that. Um, Our sandhill cranes have an even larger range, so they'll go all the way up into Canada
0: um, and breed pretty much all over North America. Mm -hmm. Um, I know in my mind, I think about Veterans Day. Mm -hmm. Generally, if I go to... Wheeler Wildlife Refuge on Veterans Day, there will be a few cranes, Mm -hmm. uh, and then I see them fly over my house because (laughs) we're due north of the refuge, Um, usually in mid-February on one of those warm days when Mm -hmm. you think, oh, spring is coming, and I hear their sound, I look up. And there's a V, usually a kind of raggedy V, <laughs> uh, because they do seem to erratically change direction oh, yeah. a little bit, but generally heading north.
1: Oh yeah. They, um, anytime they feel a warmer weather um, scenario, they're going to pick up and move, whether it be all the way up north until they figure it out. Oop, it's a little bit chilly. Let's maybe go back down. Um, they change their mind all the time. They spend a week at Wheeler and then hop over to Georgia. So these birds
0: are all over the place. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We expect certain things of birds. We expect them to go from here to Wisconsin, but they didn't read the book, right. so they go where they want to go. <laughs> Maybe it's their first time traveling and they're trying to see the world
1: a little bit, but they got a little ambitious.
0: Uh huh, uh huh. Um, what's the difference in those two cranes?
1: So there's a lot of visual differences that we see with our cranes. Um, Our sandhill cranes are four feet tall, so they're still pretty big birds. They have gray, um, reddish-brown feathers, typically. Um, They have a red featherless patch on their head, long legs, um, a long beak, and they have a white little
0: mustache across their face. I did not realize the red patch was featherless. Oh, yeah. I just figured (laughs) they were red feathers.
1: Yeah, see, I thought that um, before I looked super closely and before I talked with the international crane foundation and they were like nope it's actually featherless um they can actually pump blood into that red area and make it mm-hmm. super bright red and it's one of their territorial behaviors so they can say hey back up you're kind of in my space here mm. so very cool Stoplight. <laughs> yeah exactly
0: okay uh and because i have an app on my phone i wanted to play for you what sandhill cranes sound like
1: Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to do it again. Mm -hmm.
0: That sound just makes me smile. It's like the birds Mm -hmm. are going crazy laughing. (laughs) Yeah.
1: They're definitely having a lot of chatty conversations fun fact about their um, calls their trachea actually coils up in their body so it kind of makes a natural echo effect within their body and that's why they're so much louder so than it amplifies it. yeah
0: here's a hoop and crane <coughs> and my app tells me that was recorded in Texas mm-hmm Um, Tell me about those populations.
1: Yeah, so um, our Texas population is one of our many populations that we have, but they are the historical population.
0: And these are who and cranes, the ones that are so endangered. Oh,
1: yeah. Um, So in our Texas historical population, there's about 500 or so individuals Um, They winter down in Aransas uh, National Wildlife Refuge in Texas, and then they head all the way up to Canada for their breeding grounds, Um, so they spent time at Wood Buffalo Park up there. Um, But yeah, they're one of our populations we have. We have our reintroduced populations um, on this eastern side. We have a non-migratory population in Louisiana. Um, They were reintroduced in 2011. Um, We have our eastern migratory population, which are the birds that we see in Alabama. Um, They come all the way down from Wisconsin, so they winter there with us. And then we have another non-migratory population in Florida.
0: And these different populations are important. How, about how many hooping cranes are there? Eight hundred and something. Eight hundred and thirty-six, give or take. Okay, mm-hmm. which seems like a much bigger number than when you think about at, at its low point. The population got down to what twenty? Twenty something?
1: individuals. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: But if they were all in the same population, you would risk something like disease, disease wiping out that population. And so it's good that we have some non-migratory and at least two, generally speaking, the Texas population and then east of the Mississippi, mm-hmm. that population. So that, um, that gives you, I don't know, redundancy.
1: Right. <laughs> right. But at least some kind of insurance in terms of Whooping cranes, so to speak, because Uh if something happens to another uh, population, we have the other ones to bounce back off of and kind of get a good feel of where we could go from
0: here. I know one time I said, I think that the Hoyler Refuge in North Alabama is the best place to see whooping cranes, partly because there's a nice observation building Mm -hmm. so you don't have to be out in the weather. And someone from Texas took issue with that. <laughs> so that made me aware that there right. was an important Texas population. Oh, yeah. They
1: take ownership over their Texas
0: population for sure. <laughs> uh-huh. So when's the best time? If, I, if I'm if i going to go see cranes mm-hmm. here at Wheeler, then I want to target December and January. For sure. Do you have a recommendation for what time of day?
1: So earlier in the morning... Um, probably around nine or 10. They're pretty active. Um, they've come out of their roosting spots. So where they spent their night, they're coming on out for the day, deciding to walk around and forage amongst the other cranes. Mm -hmm. Um, that's when we've seen them most active at Wheeler. Um, they tend to spend their full afternoon, um, around those areas, especially at the observation deck. There's plowed fields. Um, so we see them rooting around in those fields and in the wetland areas. Um, So we see a lot of them at that time, but they spend their whole afternoon there and don't typically end up leaving until late in the afternoon, so like five or six-ish when it's really getting dark. um, They'll decide to pick up and move to where they're going to spend the
0: nighttime. Okay. One warning from experience. If you go in the late afternoon, the observation building faces south Mm -hmm. and the sun is right in your eyes. So... Um, I, I really like to go in the mornings Definitely. or maybe early afternoon. That's you a, get a lot a good of good, go. um,
1: songbirds then too. Mm-hmm. You get to see mm-hmm. a lot of different, um, wildlife out there. Maybe some deer. We've seen some out there.
0: Uh, ducks.
1: Um, ducks for sure. Mm-hmm. All of the Canada geese, um, the pelicans. Mm-hmm. So you get a lot of good variety, probably mm-hmm. the earlier in the day that you go, just because they've got a lot on their agenda. they got to be other places.
0: And one time we saw a bobcat and Ooh. two kits. Playing at the edge of the water.
1: Oh my goodness! Yes, that must yes. have been such a treat. So
0: people had to remind us, oh, "You're here to watch cranes." Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but the podcast. So kittens, are yeah. so cute. <laughs> uh, one interesting story that you told us was about hunting whooping mm-hmm. cranes. Right. So
1: hunting isn't allowed for whooping cranes because they are endangered. Um, but sand hills. Sandhills here in Alabama were one of the 17 states that allow um, hunting of sandhill cranes.
0: But it's highly regulated. It is
1: very regulated. They have a draw for who can hunt them, and I think you only get about three um, whenever you do get chosen to hunt them. So it's very regulated. They're keeping a very good watch on it. Um, But with whooping cranes, that's not the case. There's no hunting allowed at all. Um, So really the only threat that we're seeing in that kind of realm is poaching, um, which is to be... Very clear, not the same as hunting. Um, Those individuals are not one and the same. Um, Any cases that we've seen with hunter-related poaching incidents were hunters that were hunting outside of their regulated hours um, or breaking some of the laws and regulations that they have in place, Um, in which case we could argue that they're not really considered hunters anymore since they're not following their rules. They're outlaws. Yes, Yes. (laughs) exactly. And so you told about a particular hunter, Mm So his name is Jeff Blatchford. Um, He was in South Dakota, um, 25 at the time. It was 2012. Um, He actually shot a hawk and a whooping crane. Um, And when asked about the incident, he admitted that he does this kind of thing all the time. Um, He said he shoots hawks off of power lines, um, ducks in ditches, and that it was a very normal thing for him. Um, But he admitted that he would never shoot an eagle. Mm. And that was... An interesting response to an otherwise unprompted question, mm-hmm. um, because he really wanted us to know, like, I would never shoot an eagle for the fact of, one, they're protected, but two, they stand for such a like, amazing thing as our country. Um, so trying to get people to understand that there is a disconnect there between um, whooping cranes and eagles and raising awareness and creating a stewardship for folks to And
0: shooting hawks off power lines, that's a no-no also. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So there
1: there are repercussions that should be faced for these kinds of things. Um, And they're definitely still in the talks of what those repercussions are, but it's something that we would like to raise awareness for so that we're not having hunters making accidents when they don't know what whooping cranes look like. Um, because they look different than sandhill cranes, and I don't think I talked about what they looked like, so I'll do that Okay. A um, but making sure they're aware of the regulations and the hunting hours and what to look for in these birds so that we don't have those incidents and really just creating that group of individuals that can look at whooping cranes the same way we do eagles.
0: So what's likely to happen to a hunter or a poacher, I mm-hmm. should say, that, that shoots a hoop and crane?
1: Um, so they're looking to lose their hunting license entirely, Um, they would be facing up to two years jail time and fines up to $100,000. Rearing these cranes uh, in captivity and bringing them back out into the population is a very expensive process um, where we're looking at about $100,000 a crane. Mm -hmm. Um, So when someone takes out an individual, that's entirely affecting the population uh, because we're seeing a lot less of a chance to build up those numbers. So we're hoping to at least
0: level the cost Mm -hmm. And I'm sure someone explained this to Jeff, and he no longer shoots birds. Fingers crossed. I hope not. (laughs) Okay, so whooping crane, how does it look different from a sandhill crane?
1: Yeah, so they have some similarities. Um, We're going to see that same red featherless patch on their head. Um, But as far as everything else goes, they're a little bit different. So they're big, white-bodied birds. They stand five feet tall, so a little bit taller than sandhills. They have a long black beak and long legs. Um, They have a black mustache across their face, unlike the sandhills with their white. Um, But yeah, very similar. Um, Underneath, they have black wingtips that you'll see while they're flying. So that's another way we can distinctly see if it's a whooping crane as opposed to Mm -hmm. a sandhill crane.
0: Mm -hmm. And you can see that at that observation building at Mm -hmm. Wheeler. When you first arrive, a quick scan the white hoop and cranes really pop. They really do. <laughs> and then to get to see them fly over—that is just uh, takes your breath away mm-hmm. uh, because they're big, they're white, they got those black tips. They're just gorgeous. They really, really are. It's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, I know you said the breeding. The breeding is kind of a big deal because it's. Um, Puppin' Cranes invest a lot of time and energy oh, yeah. into having an egg and mm-hmm. raising a chick. Talk a little bit about how long it takes to raise that chick.
1: Yeah, so their whole process is, um, it's a very long, uh, they're very long-lived birds. Uh, they live to be late 20s, early 30s, um, a little bit longer in captivity, uh, but they are sexually mature at age three, so that's when they can start breeding. Um, Anytime they have a clutch of eggs, they usually have one to two of them. Um, Then they sit on those eggs for about 30 days when they hatch. Um, From that point, it takes about 80 days for the birds to be able to fly um, with their feathers and building up the muscle to fly, Um, and then getting back into uh, non-breeding flocks until they hit that three-year mark where they can start maturing and finding a mate. So it's a very long process for not a lot of chicks to hatch um, at the end of it. So tell us about costume
0: rearing.
1: <laughs> so and costume y'all rearing. need to
0: google this and Absolutely. see this outfit. <laughs>
1: So it's a very silly thing that we found that works super great because birds are very impressionable. Um, they are going to imprint the minute they hatch out of that egg and see something. They're like, that's my mom for sure. This is what I'm going to look like. So in reintroducing these cranes into the population, we found that just doing it as a person doesn't work. Um, so we created these costumes. They're like a big white kind of beekeeper outfit looking like thing. They're painted with coloration that whooping cranes have. We have a crane puppet on one of our hands, um, which looks like the head of a whooping crane. Um, The mouth can move so we can pick up little uh, food pieces or teach them what foraging looks like. Um, We wear tall black boots to look like their legs. We have the feathers painted. So it's a very silly thing, but to think of the birds being five feet tall when they're grown, looking at a human in a costume might not be so different Hmm. Um, but it helps us teach the birds this is what you're going to look like, and this is who you'll associate with. Well,
0: it works. It works. <laughs> it, it, it's just unbelievable, but it works. It
1: works. And we have so many pictures on our Crane Foundation website that you can see um, of chicks running behind people in the costumes and like learning. Okay, this is what it's going to be like when we're going to take off and fly. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a very wild
0: concept, but it's absolutely working. (laughs) It's imprinting. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think anybody who's lived on a farm, uh, chicks imprint on whatever they see Mm -hmm. when they first come out of that egg. And hopefully it's their mama. Right. (laughs) Tell us about the bands on the cranes list. Oh, yeah.
1: So, in our reintroduced um, eastern migratory population, there's about 76 individuals. Um, We started reintroducing them in 2001, um, and all of those birds are going to be outfitted with these cute little jewelry bands um, on their legs, and they're going to come in different colors like greens, reds, whites, blacks, Um, and some of our other populations, they have blues and yellows, but these bands are basically like a name tag um, or even a social security number because no two birds will have the same combination of bands as any other bird. These bands can tell us a little bit about what their gender is, uh, how old they are, Uh, when they were banded, and by who they were banded. So they give us a lot of information about the birds that we're seeing over and over and where they're spending their time, where they're wintering, where they're breeding, all kinds of information we're learning from these leg bands.
0: So it's like a code. Oh, yeah. So you could get your binoculars, Mm -hmm. you could write down what you see on the bands, and report it to... Bandedcranes.org. We
1: ask that anyone that sees them, um, pretty much you can put what county you're in, you can tell us what bands you saw, Um, how many whooping cranes you saw and it gives us such a good idea of where they're spending their time um, especially when we can't always be out in the field looking so folks are seeing them they're really helping our studies Mm -hmm. and finding out what's the best habitat Mm -hmm. for these guys what could they be eating all kinds of questions that we need to answer about endangered birds okay
0: great when you do that kind of thing when you do citizen science you get that great feel to be part of the big effort oh yeah that's wonderful and through our
1: website we have a whooper map which is actually an international interactive map that you can scroll over and see um, where your actual report was put in. And you can see those birds that have been spending their time in these areas. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a really great way to just check up on where the birds are. um, And after you report, it'll update and let you know that the birds are around there. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, And I shared with uh, Travis that I'd been birding Saturday with a a group of pretty good birders. (laughs) And uh, we were on the south side of the river, what's called... Uh, well, the dike by the river on the south side, not far from the, the bridge uh, at 31, and we saw four hooping cranes on the north side. Of course, we get excited to see <laughs> hooping and cranes, and, and it occurred to me that We saw four hooping cranes and we saw four bald eagles that morning. So North Alabama is just a great place to live when you can Mm -hmm. see that kind of wildlife. It's just great. We need to feel a great pride in it. Mm -hmm. And from pride comes the will to protect.
1: Absolutely. Protect them. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. uh, Anything else, Travis, that you'd like for people to know about cranes?
1: Um, with our 76 reintroduced individuals that we have, uh, 16 of those are actually wild hatched chicks, which is very exciting. Um, and we actually have two of those wild hatched chicks spending their winter here with us at Wheeler for the very first time. So Mm -hmm. they're doing their migration, um, journey for the first time and they've come down to Wheeler and we've been keeping an eye on them and they're doing great. And so Mm -hmm. come spring, they'll head right back up. Um, with their families to spend a little more time and in the next couple of years we hope to see them with a mate.
0: Yes and so important that they're wild hatched.
1: Oh yeah. Because
0: we want them to be Mm self-sustainable. Yeah. Okay again North Alabama great place to see cranes. Thank you all for listening and getting dirty at the library at 11 o'clock on the second Tuesday and then talking dirty to follow that. Thank you all and have a good day. You've been listening to Talking Dirty at the Library, a podcast produced by the Athens-Limestone County Public Library in cooperation with the Limestone County Extension Office and Master Gardener Program. Join us next time to see where we're growing. And to hear other recordings from our Library Voices podcast series, please visit the Athens-Limestone County Library website at alcpl.org.